I'm Caleb. I serve as a, one of the pastors here. I'm going to read the text before we get rolling, and then I'll, I'll pray for us. So we'll be in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. So if then, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Father, I just pray um, that we will experience joy in your word, just the, the richness of the word made flesh through Christ. God, may we marvel at that. May we yield to it and joy and obedience today. Let's pray that in Jesus' name. So I read an article, uh, this was a few years ago, um, one of the top five things that a, that a guy will purchase in his life, the first one being a house. Uh, the second one being a car. There's a few other things I can't remember, but one of those things, if, if he does get married, one of those things is an engagement ring. And that's true because my drum set is currently on my wife's finger. <laughs> but she deserves it. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> um, but it's true, and there's a, there is a process, really, too, before the diamond... Um, is presented to the, the future bride. There's quite a process that goes into it. Now, I want to clarify something. Uh, the old Superman, Superman movies that showed uh, Superman crushing a lump of coal into a diamond, that's not how it works. That's what geology.com said. So if that is how it works, forgive me. But I looked it up, and there's quite a bit of a process before a diamond becomes what we know and love it to be today. It's actually just pure carbon, and it's deep, deep, deep down in the earth, and there's a lot of pressure, there's heat um, that happens before this thing even crystallizes, and then it blows out of the earth through a volcano, and then it's excavated, and then there's another process that goes through it of more cutting, more refining, more polishing before this thing is actually sellable. There's quite a bit of suffering that takes place for this diamond to be what it is. I was like, man, what an analogy for the Christian. What an analogy of what the Bible calls sanctification. We're in the process of, uh, of a new series called Follow. It's a discipleship series. We do these every now and then throughout the year, topical series. And we're in uh, this week what it means to be changed by Jesus. And I just kept like thinking of that. A diamond has to go through so much intensity and pressure and heat and suffering before it's presented to the bride, and as do we before we're presented before Christ. So hold on to that as we, as we work through really what sanctification is. I kind of mapped it out for you in three headings. You can, you can pull that up. So three, I guess, topical headings for you if you're a note taker. Okay, the person behind sanctification, it's going to be verse 1. Then there's a process to it. There's a process of it. Uh, we'll explain what that is. It's verses 2 and 3, and then really the purpose in it. So this can be your, your topical headings. 
So Paul, this is really important. So going to verse 1, if you have been raised with Christ. I want to pause on that word if because Paul uses, it's, it's not, there are some translations that say maybe since, maybe your Bible says since you have been raised, um, but a lot of translations that are pretty close to original language, they use this word if. And I think that's really important for us to pause there because if you look at chapters 1 and 2 of Colossians, the whole like gist of that is talking about who Christ is and what he has done, the, the, the great joy that, that we have in who Jesus is. It's a story of, of the gospel, the preeminence of Christ that he has always been. By him and through him and for him were all things created. He suffered for you and I, took the penalty of, of what we did in our place. It, it's all of this, the majesty of who Christ is. And then chapter 3 is this transition chapter. And it really hinges on this word if because Paul wants to highlight none of, none of what we're about to talk about is going to matter if this first part isn't true for you. So if you have been buried with Christ. And I want to extend some grace here. Listen, Colossians 3, 1 through 4 is a progressive um, vision of Paul for, for your life, for my life, for, for what sanctification is. It's, it's slow. It's not perfect. It's so messy. But he wants us to start there because it's really important because, again, none of the rest of this is going to matter. If we have actually not been raised with Christ, that's my question for you. Have you? Have you put faith in him? Last week, Ben did a marvelous job, as always, talking about what it, what's the difference between a fan and a, and a follower. I would, I would highly encourage you to listen to that because it really does distinguish. Are we just fans of Jesus? We like the things that he says. We don't really have a good framework for who he is, but like he's a, he's a good teacher. Or is he God? And if he is, that means something. Because then that means his word is true. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll follow me. You'll follow my words. So if you, if you have not been buried with Christ, like go read chapters 1 and 2. Because it's all about the beauty of who he is. And, and I guess my question for you, because maybe this is a very, for your first time here. Maybe you're seeking Christ. And you're asking this question, like, why is it that you all say that Christ is all satisfying joy to you? Why is it that he, that you're willing to give up everything for him? Well, it's because we tried everything else and it didn't work. We tried everything in this world. It got us nowhere. It was death. How are those things working for you? Are they giving you complete lasting joy and satisfaction? We talk about this a lot, life to the fullest. Are those things that you're, that you're seeking that you, you can't quite get rid of, how, how's that going? Because for me, I, at the end of it, all I saw was death. Until I put faith in, in Jesus and saw the, the majesty and the beauty of who he was and stepped off the throne of my life, put him back where he was supposed to be. And it was only then that I experienced this everlasting joy. So are you a fan or a follower? I think there's a good 
good illustration of this um, in C.S. Lewis's book, The Dawn Treader. I've been like reading back, well, listening through Audible, <laughs> back um, through, it counts, right? It counts, it's reading, right? So, listening. But I've been going through uh, all the books of Narnia again. Um, and it's cool to go through them when you're a little bit older because there's some things that click. And there's this scene in one of the books um, called The Dawn Treader. If you have no idea what Narnia is, here's the gist of it. There's a lion. He's Jesus, essentially. Um, he's, the, he's the type for, for Jesus, the character to represent Jesus. And there's this boy in here who is, who's essentially taken over by the spell, and he becomes a dragon. And he's trying so hard to, to fix it. He wants to, he's trying to descale himself. He can't heal himself. Nothing's really working. He even tries to peel some things off, and it, it, it either grows back or it hardens. It's painful. It hurts. And he's, see, he's trying this. And then uh, this lion, Aslam, comes up to him. He says, I have to be the one that peels this from you because I'm the only one that can make this work. So um, the kid says, I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty, I was pretty desperate. So I just laid down and, and let him declaw. The very first tear he made was so deep, I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear, it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked a scab of a sore place, it hurts like a, I don't really know what he's trying to say there, like a billy goat? I don't know, but um, it was such fun to see it coming away. I know exactly what you mean, said Edmund. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, and just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was lying on the grass, only so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. Then he caught a hold of me. I didn't like that much because I was pretty tender underneath. I had no skin on, but he threw me in the water and it hurt like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious and soon I started swimming and splashing. I found that all the pain had gone from my arm and then I saw why it's because I turned into a boy again. That is the gospel. Completely hopeless trying everything to, to fix our lives. Maybe it's religion, maybe it's success, it's just all these things. And we're, we're trying to peel away these things, but it's, it's only digging us deeper and deeper. And then Jesus says, I actually have the keys to life itself, but you have to let me claw you. And it's going to hurt. I'm going to be honest, it's going to hurt. But at the end, it is a joy that you have never experienced because it was what you were made for. I think we feel like we have to, to clean ourselves before we come to Christ. We can't do that. So it makes as much sense as if, we got in a, if I got in a car wreck and I waited to heal before I went to the hospital. We can't actually clean ourselves. We have to let him do the work. And that's the first part, really. That's what the Bible calls justification. It's this alien righteousness that is, that is purely given to us by grace. It's a free gift. This right standing that we have before God, it's only because of Christ. 
And then the second part, being changed by him, that's what Paul then fleshes out for the rest of this. So if you have been buried with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So he says now, or Paul says now that you've been restored. Now pursue Christ. There should be some desires, there should be some changes in you that that make you want to just pursue him. He is is your great joy, he's our great hope. He's the point of all this. This is why we gather, this is why we tell others about him. If you really are a believer, you have a whole new set of motives. You know, before the gospel, we may have been virtuous, but it was really out of guilt. It was out of shame, maybe trying to earn God's favor, but now after Christ, your motivation changes. It's, it's a desire to delight him and to delight in him. It's, it's to please him. You know, like the boy in, in Don Treader, he, he couldn't actually fix himself. But Christ did the work. Now, looking back at that, he said, I saw all that stuff on the ground. I realized I couldn't have done anything. And then he just delighted in what had happened. There is just something that is in us that there is this desire, this overwhelming, when we look back and see the cross. Paul's saying, now set your minds towards heaven. One of the translations says, set your hearts towards the things above where Christ is. Put your gaze there. He is your great joy. He is your great delight. Listen, we're, per- we're positionally perfect with God. What that means is, again, Christ or God does not see what we were. Ben talked about that in confession. Our, our sin is separated from the east, from the west. We are positionally perfect with God, but that doesn't mean we're perfect now. <laughs> Man, we struggle we have to allow him to claw away at us. But you should know that means that there should at least be a desire there within you to want to seek the things above. Yes, you are saved by faith alone. That is the tenet of our faith. But hear this, it's not a faith that is alone. I know all of your radars probably just went off. That's a heresy. <laughs> it's not. James 2 talks about this. It's, this. it's this tension between if your faith without, if you have this, this faith that you claim, but there's nothing that comes out of it, there's no works, there's no desire, there's none of that, then it's not saving faith. It's dead. How do we wrestle with that? How do we wrestle with the, yes, I know I can't do anything to earn God's favor, but now that I have been rescued by him, there should be something that is produced within you. And it's not perfect. Listen, a couple weeks ago we talked about uh, one of Jesus' main dudes, right, Peter, walked with him for years, saw all of these things that Jesus had done, betrayed him at the end. And then Jesus comes up to him and he asks him three times, do you love me, do you love me? And then that last time he asked, essentially, do you have fondness towards me? Do you at least love me a little? Is there any desire within you to want to pursue me? Is there anything? I'll take it. I can work with that. But if there is no desire in you to want to pursue the things of God, I just, I I can't, I can't keep, 
I keep thinking of like that same thing that Paul says, have you really been buried with him? I think verses 2 and 3 flesh that out a little bit. So set your mind, again, he says this again, set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. So this process of, of sanctification. A couple questions. Is it me? Is it me? Like, am I the one that's doing this? Is it the Spirit? Is it both? Well, I think we see kind of the answer in, in both of these verses. So when I was in middle school, I played football, and I wasn't good at it, but I still loved it. I uh, tried out for wide receiver, and they look, <laughs> They took one look at me. They're like, a little short, a little round. Let's put you on offensive line. Um, it's probably best suit you there. It was so sad, <laughs> but it was still fun. But I think we can all kind of resonate with this. There is a, like, there is a signature smell from middle school boys, right? Um, and I think about this. I was like, it was a hot Georgia sun pads that we didn't wash. Um, it is what it is. <laughs> we just didn't. They put them in their, locker, their lockers and um, left for the day. But, I mean, we'd go in the locker room, and for some reason, there's this just belief that we can cover our sin. We can cover these things with Axe body spray. Um, man, there's something in that <laughs> that would preach. Um, that smell would, like, carry with you. My mom sometimes would bring, like, a towel um, for me to sit in the car. She's like, you're not, get, you're not getting that mess, like, in my car. Um, I actually still do that today. Um, I bring a towel home with me. And so I'd, you know, I'd go home nasty, um, sweaty, bloody. Um, some guys spit. Like, there's just all kinds of things that are, like, going on. Just smell so bad. I'd come home, best feeling ever, you'd get a shower right? There's this cleanness that, that happened. But I think what Paul is saying is when you look at, at your old life, it makes as much sense to partake in those things as it would be for me to put on that nasty football clothes again. Why on earth would I do that? It's disgusting. It's literally decaying. It's like rotting. And Paul's saying, that's the same thing. Like, why on earth would you not put your mind towards heavenly things if you have been buried with him? Why would you put these dirty, nasty gym clothes back on? That's not who you are. It's not who you're becoming. It just doesn't make sense. Listen, sanctification and walking in your new identity is for your good. It's not like you're losing anything. God knows that you're actually gaining something in walking with him. It is for your good. Philippians 4, 8 through 9, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me put into practice. It's the disciplines. I love what Tony Ranke says. I saw this actually this week. Reading is a discipline. And all disciplines require self-discipline. And self-discipline is the one thing our sinful flesh will resist. 
Man, isn't that so true? There is this putting these things into practice. This, what setting your mind on these things is, is actually putting these things into work. It's the disciplines. It's meditating on the word of God. Again, all of this should be birthed out of desire for him. It's meditating on the word. It's, it's talking with him. It's engaging in community of God. It's intentional living. Christians should not be bored. We shouldn't be bored. Because if we thought about people truly in the image of God, then we would know there's always adventure out there. That we're always on call. <laughs> if we really thought about these things, Paul's saying like meditate and, and look to these things because when you get down here, you're participating in the old life and it makes no sense. It's holding you back. So there is like this tension between like, okay, is, is it me that's doing my sanctification? Is it, is it God? Well, Paul would also say, and that's why I think it's both. Paul would also say, listen, you have died, but your life is hidden with Christ. Philippians 2, 12 through 13, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation, that's us doing that, with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It is this, it's this tension between striving and straining, but it's also God within us. 1 Corinthians 15.10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. It is his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder. He's talking about all the other apostles. I worked harder than all of them, but it wasn't me. It's the grace of God that was in me. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Jesus. Being confident of what? Verse 5 tells us your partnership in the gospel, that you have been marked with the gospel, that you are hidden in Christ. So is it me? Is it the Spirit? Is it both? Yes, amen. Paul said, I strived, I, I, I strained, I worked hard, I put in the disciplines, I disciplined my body, my mind, my soul, I set my mind all these things, but it wasn't me doing it. It was the Spirit of God within me doing these things. How the heck does that make sense? <laughs> it is this beautiful mystery of when we are tethered with Christ. There is responsibility on us. We can delay growth. Ephesians 5 talks about, or 5.18, there's this command to, to be filled with the Spirit. It's not a suggestion. Be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, that means every day I must be asking God, will you fill me and captivate my mind with the beauty of the gospel of who Jesus is because everything else out there is going to grab a hold of me. And I'm so weak there is this tension, he talks about this in Romans, there's this tension, this, this war between my flesh and the spirit every single day. It's this daily asking, it's hourly asking, spirit, 
captivate me and fill me because I can't do this. You have to do this within me. There's boldness there. I mean, I love how David prays in Psalms. It's not this like cookie cutter thing. He's like, God, come down here and do this. Habakkuk does the same thing. Like, come down here and show yourself to me. It's this knocking, this persisting that Jesus talks about in Matthew. This banging on the door like, God, help me. We have to knock. We have to actually do the work as well. But the Spirit, and that's assurance, right, of salvation. The Spirit is the one who actually does the work within us. Man, is there a desire, at least a desire? That's all he's asking for. In uh, 2018, um, I'm a huge Georgia fan. And 2018 was a major letdown for me. Um, Georgia's playing Alabama in national championship. It's been 1980, since 1980, when the Bulldogs have won a national championship. I wasn't alive then, okay? So I didn't see it. I was like, this is it. I'm going to see this. And they were winning. They were winning. At halftime, it was 13-0. And then in overtime, last-second pass, Tua drills the dude in the back left of the, uh, of the end zone. I'm like, are you kidding me? There was something that actually happened within me, like this complete like takeover almost, where it was just like complete joy to complete sadness. <laughs> Not for the Alabama fans. But why is it that I was able to get such a rise and fall out of that, out of something that just doesn't matter? Why is it that there was such desire, praiseworthy almost? But when we look to the cross, man, where is that? Man, when we look to the cross, it should be this just overwhelming joy. When you look at what Jesus did for you and see that it cost him everything, extended to you freely, when that grips you, your response to what he asks you, it shouldn't just be begrudging, but it's this joyful obedience. Guys, this process is messy. I get it. It's a daily battle. But I'm just asking, like, is there at least a desire for the things of God? Ultimately, I believe it's the Spirit that gives those things, but we also have to obey Him and ask for it and pray daily. But knowing, being confident that it's He who does the good work, we are hidden with Christ. So when you fail, man, God doesn't see you as, as who you were. He sees His Son. That should give us this, this freedom to like work out our salvation, right? I went to a, my, I'm doing a lot of sports analogies, I'm sorry. Um, but I went to my nephew's uh, t-ball game, right? I love t-ball. Um, there's just like, <laughs> they're, they're just so bad at it. Um, but there's no real like 
oh, you're off the team because you missed it. Like, there's just, there's this complete participation, and I know there's the participation trophy police out here. Like, just, just bear with me, okay? <laughs> T-ball, like, just give them some grace. But in T-ball, they probably have, like, seven or eight strikes, right? Like, they just, they just keep swinging the bat, but it's okay, <laughs> It's okay because they, like, have this confidence that they're not kicked off the team. In fact, their coaches are, are like, hey, you got this. Like, you can do this. Maybe um, shortening the, the tee a little bit for them or maybe just accidentally hitting the ball off for them. Hey, you did it. Go run. <laughs> There's just this confidence that, you know, they can, they can work and they can – they can be a part of something without feeling this fear of getting kicked off. And when, when they fail, they go to their coach. Because there's a relationship there where it's like, hey, it's okay. Just keep going. Then you get a coach pitch and you actually are kicked off the team if you're not good at it. But, but for this, man, we have been buried with Christ. We're hidden with him. And there's this confidence that, that we can strike out a ton, but just swing the bat. Just try, just work this thing out because you're not going to lose something that was already purchased for you and given to you freely. Have a confidence that there is a God. And that's a major difference in Christianity and, and, and the major religions is that when we fail... We have a God that we can run to, not away from. He's a God that's like, come back. Let's work on this. I'm going to work in you. I'm not going to give you up. Other gods are going to smite you. We have a God that's, that's loving. The confidence that we can have in this process. I love what Mar uh, Walter Marshall says. You need the comforts of the gospel to obey God's law. <laughs> that sums it up. We need the comforts of knowing that we have been set free and we were bought with a price. And now, out of joy, the, the order is super important. Before Christ, I, I obeyed um, to get favor with God. Now I'm completely loved by him and now I can work and figure out this thing I need the comforts of knowing that I've been saved so to, to be able to obey and not lose salvation comforts of the gospel so this last point the process yes it's both it's us it's working but it's the spirit working within us it's us obeying him but it's uh, it's him giving us grace it's the process but where is all this headed what's the purpose in this what's the purpose really of our sanctification what is our future hope what is the joy of being cut away clawed away like this it's verse 4 when Christ who is your life appears oh man then you will also appear with him and glory. This vision from, I love it, it's this vision from justification to glorification. This, you've been set free and now you're fully 
made perfect and righteous before God. That's at the end. That's his future hope. Christ, he says, in, or Paul says in Colossians 1.20, and through him to reconcile all things, everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's the vision that Christ is reconciling, that he's making enemies friends, that all things are brought in to this reconciliation with him. And we're a piece of that. Renewed day after day. Paul would say in verse 10, the purpose of what you're being sanctified for. Okay? Verse 10. And have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. What does it mean to be made then in the image of Jesus? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I have talked about this a lot before. But I do want to go back to Genesis 1 because the authors do it all the time. It's this callback to this vision that God had for humanity. That you would be my representation on the earth. You would. Humanity would. And I'm going to give you authority to rule the earth, to harness the potential of the earth and to make it better. There's this beauty in this, in this work that we're partnering with him. We're representing him on earth. Psalm 8 is this, really this commentary on Genesis 1. God, why have you thought of, of humans? paraphrase, but I, I love this. God, why have you thought of humans? Why do you care so much for us who simply are on the earth and all we do is bad things? Why have you crowned us mere humans with glory and honor? Why have you crowned us with glory and honor. Why have you given us mere humans dominion over the birds and the air, fish and the sea, and all that creeps on the ground? Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Praise God for what you have given to us mere humans. It was this amazing destiny. I know we know this. We blew it. Right? The first humans blew it. That's where the brokenness comes in the world. The first Adam didn't do it, but the second Adam did. That's why Christ became a man, because God gave this to man and woman to do, and man, we, we, we blew it. And so God became us in our likeness <laughs> to do what we couldn't do, to fully obey the law of God and everything about it, completely obey his design. He would be trampled, Daniel 7, he would be trampled by the human and spiritual forces of the world, but he would not give in to powers of darkness like we have. And then Daniel 7 paints this picture again of victoriously rising. Psalm 8 would say this again, that God has put all things under his feet. Paul would reiterate it again in Romans 5. In Psalm 110, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Here's where I'm going with this. In 1 Corinthians, then it says, And just as we have been born the image of the, or I'm sorry, just as we have been born in the image of the man of dust, we also bear the image of the man of heaven, the one who fully defeated the powers of death and hell and has risen with God 
And here's what he says in Ephesians. You have been positionally placed with him. Does that not stir anything in you? You are not seen as as this waste, but you have been saved and sanctified and rescued. And now you are positioned with him, again, to fulfill the destiny that we were supposed to do at the beginning, to be the representation of God on earth. That's what it means to bear the image, and that is what we are being sanctified towards. To appear with him in glory. Where we can be with him and there's no separation. Christ our hope and glory. We're being made into that image. To rule again with him. And I wonder if you've thought about this. What if your being made in the image of Jesus was just as much for your personal holiness as it was for mission? Why do you think that God didn't just zap you into heaven after you got saved? Am I the only one that thought? I guess I'm the only one that's thought that. (laughs) Because he wants you to represent him now. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about how you've been made new, but you're also this ambassador. Paul doesn't separate the two identities there. It's one full identity. The reason you are still here, Christian, is that you are being sanctified. And man, what a great apologetic to a dying world. I think of the blind man in in John 9 where the Pharisees came up to him and he said, listen guys, I don't know what to tell you. I was blind and now I see. (laughs) Let the redeemed tell their story. In an age of of authenticity and darkness, man, what an incredible thing that you can tell people that, man, I, I don't know, I just, I was blind. And now I see. What if you being made into the image of Jesus so that you could actually reflect him here and now, that you're a giant signpost to him. What about this room, this this room full of thieves and robbers, ex-convicts, drug addicts, people with major anger issues, the sexual immoral, gossipers, liars, and me. I mean, not even a year ago, I was in therapy for some deep depression. Still on medication for it. I'm not made it by any means, but it's the God's grace in me. The fact that he, he's even allowed me to lead people, it's ridiculous. What an apologetic to the world. Your lead pastor was a kleptomaniac. I asked him first if I could say that. <laughs> got, literally got high off of stealing things. Man, I hurt so many people in my past. I think about it all the time. But what's incredible is that God has taken these broken threads, these broken people, these dens of robbers and thieves, 
And he's brought them in unity under the Spirit to preach and declare the glory of who he is. That's what the world needs. And that's the purpose of our sanctification, church. There's corporate motivations behind it. That this room of nasty people can say, not I, but Christ in me. I'm going to read this as we transition to communion. I love how Paul finishes this section. I think it's up there. Colossians 3, 12, 17. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy, set apart, Dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Man, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against one another, just as the Lord's forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ, to which You were also called in one body. Rule your hearts. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in wisdom and teaching, admonishing one another. This is what we're doing now through psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude, desire in your heart. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God, the Father, through him, the vision of sanctification for the church. Because the world has no idea how to love one another. They say they do. But Jesus said, no, the way that you love one another, that's how people will know. It's the greatest apologetic.